Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Dennis Kozloff. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. All right, uh, we're starting a new series of messages, pretty short, four messages only, right, Neil? Five, five messages, still very short. We had way longer uh, series that were very, you know, so you're, you're advanced and you're, you're mature and you're used to those longer ones. But these are short ones. This one is a short one and it's called Biblical Fellowship. And I'm starting today and I'll try my best to introduce you to this topic of fellowship. And we're doing it by default because we're starting the small group meetings so those things are connected so if you have a question are you like trying to sell me those connect groups yes i am so just point blank straightforward that's yeah i want you to be in those groups that's what it is and i'll explain to you why all right so biblical fellowship if you study new testament you will discover very quickly how many of you read new testament wonderful if you don't, you need to start reading. You'll discover very quickly that New Testament church is intentionally and intensely relational. Very quickly you'll learn. These guys, <clears throat> those believers, they lived their lives together. They spent more time together than apart from each other, if you study it carefully. The very word church means those who are called out to gather together. There is an expression in the New Testament that can be translated one another or one unto another. It's a Greek, specific Greek expression. It's used over 60 times in the New Testament. Over 60 times, every time Paul introduces the gospel, he begins after that to move into Christian living, and this portion of Christian living would always have several unto another. Do this to one another. For example, like Ephesians 4, be kind to one another. Forgive one another. Bearing one another's burden. Be, have forbearance to one another. And we live very differently today. So we as preachers, we have to always reinterpret these words and apply them for your life circumstances, for your co-workers, for your family, for your kids. But that's not the original context. The original context is you are to practice this one another thing with another church member, with people that you gather with on a regular basis. Can I hear an amen to that? That means you read the Bible. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to describe two situations to you. One, and they're very different. They're opposing each other. They're in great contrast to each other. One is very typical of the early church. And another one is very typical of today's America. So one is this one, early church. Together for believers in Christ is very risky business. Much is at stake. Sometimes including your freedom and your own life. There are regular mob riots against Christian gatherings. There are regular government-organized raids against Christian gatherings. Those gatherings are often secretly held. They're busted by the government officials. Leaders are arrested. Families lose their providers. The, the hand-copied 
handwritten copies of scripture confiscated and destroyed. So there are a lot of forces trying to put down and extinguish and eradicate this new movement called Christ Christianity. Yet, amazingly, all this pressure, all this risk, those, it doesn't stop. You can't stop that. It just keeps spreading and people keep gathering together, risking, risking a lot of their well-being, health, wealth, whatever, in order to be together. And here's the situation of today's America in many of the countries of the so-called first world. <clears throat> Meeting in the name of the Lord is legal. There are a bunch of gathering places specially built and designed for that. They're full of amenities. In the summer, they have air conditioning. In the winter, they have heating. They have clean restrooms. Somebody clean the restrooms. They don't even think about it. Uh, uh, Childcare is provided. Musicians try their best to be the cutting edge in whatever is popular in, in a Christian uh, music market today. Leaders, poor leaders, they try their best to figure out what is it that these people that call themselves Christian want and need. And they try their best to deliver, to have their uh, needs, to, to have their needs met. And yet, less and less people come. And that's the Believe it or not, you guys are minority today. Most people that identify themselves as Christians today in America, they don't practice regular gathering together in any way or form. They don't rub their shoulders. They don't get together physically. Guess what? There is a statistics that I, I tried to look the most updated statistic. And I found the survey was held after COVID took place in 2021. Listen, the question was, how often do you attend church or a synagogue? So it was to Christians and the Jewish people, Jewish believers. Here's the answers. In America, in the United States of America, every week, I attend the church every week, 11% of all people that call themselves Christians. Almost every week. 9%. Here is the core for you. These are the people. That's you guys, by the way. Most of you. Some of you just wandered today and we're glad that you're here. But listen to this. About once a month, 11%. Seldom, 25 And in my book, seldom means twice a year, right? Christmas and Easter. And never, 31%. And two people just didn't know what the question means. So... So basically, I know it's funny, but listen, out of five people that would say, yes, I'm a Christian, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, only one practices gathering together in the name of the Lord. Something is very different between what's happening today and what was happening back then in the beginning. Does this make sense? Do you see that? So the question is why? Why in the world they were this way and we are that way? And that's a good question to ask yourself. And I think something has been lost along the way. Something has been lost and, and we are in a dear, we, we, we really need it to be rediscovered, recovered and restored to the church today. Because there is some special value that those guys saw and we do not. They attributed, they, they attributed very special value to this time of physical gathering with other believers that we do not and that 
thing that they had and we don't is called fellowship. And I need to do some cleaning work on the word fellowship because that's probably one of the overused words in Christian history. Everything is fellowship. Whatever Christians do, it's fellowship. Guys who love guns, they would get together and look at their guns and shoot some targets. That would be called fellowship. Amen. Yeah, I know, Derek. I know. I mean, time when you would have coffee and exchange pleasantries in the morning before the service, you would call it fellowship. Well, can fellowship, can fellowship, true biblical fellowship happen in those moments, in those settings? Of course it can. Yesterday I had a wonderful time with two of my brothers from this congregation and we had steak. That was awesome. Steak is really enhancing fellowship, I'm telling you. <laughs> it was wonderful. But we need to do some cleaning work with this word. Because you know, when, when the word is overused, any word, that means a beautiful thing. If it's overused, it loses its original meaning and significance. It's like if somebody runs around and tells everybody that he or she loves him or her, like, you know what, very soon everybody realizes it means nothing. It's like writing a check that they can't cash. He keeps writing checks to everyone. You don't do that. The same thing happened to fellowship. Everything is fellowship. You drink coffee is a fellowship. Somebody said fellowship is when Christians serve bad coffee and stale cookies. That's fellowship. By the way, we have great cookies and great coffee here. And we can have fellowship in those moments. But yeah. Well, anyway, enough said. You, you understand what I'm saying. I described the problem. Uh, let me try to restore... For you, the original meaning of the word fellowship that was there when early Christians would risk their life for, to be part of. Because I want to be part of it. And let me tell you something. As we worship today, that was fellowship today. And you can't get it online. You can't. We're, we're about to start uh, live streaming and we, we really put a lot of emphasis on that. We know the Spirit of God can use that in people's life. But only when you come here, you will experience the full measure of what the Spirit of God is doing here. I'm kind of giving my, stealing my own thunder from my own ser ser sermon. I, I was supposed to lead you to that point, but that's my point, basically. There is something very special. Well, let me just be straightforward, cut through the chase. Uh, fellowship, not in the modern meaning of the word, but the fellowship that you read about in the New Testament is a spiritual, dynamic reality that can only be experienced when Christians gather together. I'll say it again. True, genuine spiritual fellowship is a very valuable, significant reality of God's presence that can be experienced, sometimes even tangibly, when Christians gather together in the name of the Lord. So not every, every gathering of Christians is fellowship. Not every gathering of Christians has fellowship. But fellowship cannot happen when Christians don't get together. Did you get it? Well, some of you can go home now. Uh, <laughs> no, stay. Stay with me. So biblical fellowship is much deeper what we used to put into this word. Let me get into the word of God. The book of Acts, chapter 2. It's a short description of the very first church that appeared on the face of the earth. And this succinct, brief summary helps us to understand what, what their life looked like. Let's read it. The book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. 
Uh, let me take a sip of water. And they, believers in Jesus, listen to this, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And oh, came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together. Temple was a big, big edifice with big courts and spacious places like this and even bigger. So every day, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes... They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And listen to this. And the Lord to add it to their number day by day, those who were being saved. That's a beautiful picture of a church life in the first century. And although we live in a different time, in a different culture, and we can't fully replicate it, I still believe we carry the same DNA, the same spiritual DNA, and we need to be intentional about finding ways in today's American culture to express and practice the same lifestyle as much as possible. So if you read it, you would see that over the course of time, we lost two of those things, the, the importance and the significance of two of those things. They list four things that they, it says devoted themselves. For me, to devote yourself to something means heartfelt, mind-determined decision. That means devotion. It, it, you don't just get excited, go to one thing, and then you're gone forever. You saw something. You saw the value of it, and you devoted yourself to that. So they devoted themselves to four things. One thing is apostles' teaching. And it's still upheld high. It's still valued in Christian churches. Teaching, doctrine, instruction. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm teaching you the Word of God. And it's very important. And another thing that is still considered to be highly important and spiritual, prayers. Prayers together. We want people to pray for our problems. We want people to pray for a revival, for a breakthrough, for whatever. But there are two things that actually sound very mundane to today's Christian. Fellowship and breaking bread together. Well, some people say, well, breaking bread it must be spiritual. It must be Lord's uh, Supper, communion. Yes and no. Because in early church, all scholars confirmed that communion was built into the regular meal. So devoting yourself to breaking the bread together is actually devoting yourself to eat together with people. Oh, yesterday we had that steak. I'm not going to tell you who made the steak. I'm not going to tell you. I'll keep it top secret because <laughs> I hope to be invited again. So, and see, those two spiritually important in our eyes activities, they're still spiritually important in our eyes, like apostles' teaching and prayers, and they're elevated. And usually you can slap the label of ministry on them. And you can run them online. You don't need to gather together. I can preach online, and you can listen to me online. But it's not going to be the church. It is not going to be. I bumped the other day into somebody I knew from the city, and I know them from the church context. And I said, well, how are you doing? How are you doing? Great. How about you? Wonderful. And I asked him, like, what do you guys... 
what church are you part of these days? Because I know people shuffle between churches. And he said, well, we're part of this communi online community based in Columbus. And I, well, exactly. I, I didn't say anything, but, well, I had an inner smirk in me. I said, yeah, right. Yeah, right. You're part of a community, online community. It's different, guys. And not only because you can, like, you can ask your online community to help you move your refrigerator. Not only that, but not only that, but because there is a very special presence of the Lord when the kids, children of God, are gathering together. And that can be experienced. That may be caught on. It can be contracted almost. And if you have a little bit in you and you get together with other guys who have a little bit in them, pa-bam, there is an explosion of the Holy Spirit. There is an eruption of praise. There is a release of the Spirit. There is a word of prophecy. Just today, uh, my friend Pam shared the story that happened when? 20 years ago, something like that. 20 years ago, she said, you see the gentleman? She pointed to Derek. I said, yeah, what about him? She said, like 16 or 12 years ago, I don't remember. Don't. He was at that church and I was there. And there was a boy with me from another country. He was a raw pagan, nice boy, but he knew nothing. Knew nothing about the Bible, Jesus or anything. I brought him to the church. I had a week with him. I tried to put myself, invest myself into him to plant some seeds in him. And when I brought him to the church, this gentleman, Derek Young, came and began to pray and prophesy over him. And he said, you have a great future in the Lord. The Lord is going to use you. Da -da 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 -da. And he's saying that to a like, totally unbelieving kid who was to be shipped back to Spain in like a few days. Well, two years ago, she got a text message like that and says, remember me? The Lord got hold of me. <laughs> Becky was legally blind. She got her sight back. When and where did she get it back? When Christians gathered together. And they poured out their heart to the Lord. But why do people do not want to come? Why do they keep everything is created for them? Amenities, clean toilets. Child care. Oh, listen to this. Anything that you contribute is taxed exempt. And they still don't come. And I'll tell you why. They don't come because churches are dead. Are you offended? I'm not. <laughs> well, anyway, I heard this story. Supposedly, it happened in Oklahoma, in the, city of, in the state of Oklahoma. A pastor took over a small church that was not doing great. And he really rolled up his sleeves and really tried to, to really revive that church, to really bring it back to life. Because he heard that there was a day when the church was really thriving and, and vibrant and bearing fruit and people were getting saved and baptized. So he really tried. And he tried this and he tried that. And he tried this program and that program. And he tried to get people who are regulars to be more actively involved. And he tried to attract new men. Nothing, no avail, no traction. So finally he gave up and as a last resort, as a desperate measure, he decided to announce officially to the congregation and to the local newspaper that the church now is officially declared dead. And next Sunday is going to be the last Sunday and it's going to be a funeral service. Guess what? Next, Friday, next Sunday the church was packed with people. Every seat was taken. People didn't have a place to be. People were in the doorways. Some people were outside trying to get a peek and a look. And sure enough, pastor was dressed up. And he came to the 
pulpit and he began to preach and he began to tell all the good things. Eulogy, you know what eulogy means? A good word. You say good things about deceased. And he began to speak good words about the deceased. And he began to remember what a wonderful thing it was when the church was a child and then in adolescence years and then more mature years and then declining and then finally passing into eternity. And people were listening attentively and then he said, finally, he came to the point when he prayed and just like a regular funeral, he said, now you can say your final goodbyes to the deceased. And sure enough, there was a casket in front of the sanctuary covered with flowers. And he said, you can line up and come. And people started lining up and coming to the casket. <laughs> and when they would come to the casket, they would look down and they would see their own face because there was a mirror at a certain angle. And the message was clear. The church is dead because you're dead. The church is not what we do here on the stage. The church is you. You being dead, coming here, of course the church will be dead. And I'm not accusing you. I'm going to explain to you why does it happen. Why churches, why some churches are alive and why some churches are dead. Of course you don't want to gather together with dead Christians. You're dead, they're dead, you bring more death together. It stinks. Bodies that are dead disintegrate. Churches that are dead disintegrate. Anything that has life grows, increases and bears fruit and multiplies. That's the law of life. So why is it that some churches have, have life and some churches don't? Why is it? I, there are only three kinds of Christians, believers, and churches in this world. I'm simplifying, but it's, it's, it's good to simplify things. Alive, half dead, or half alive, depending on whether you're optimist or pessimist. <laughs> and the third kind is dead. So you really want to be part of the one that is alive. You're kind of not sure about the second one, and you really don't want to come to the third one. And I've been to all of them. Have you? This church has been through all these stages. Let me tell you something. Right now it's a life church. It's growing. There's life in here. There's life in here. And you know what? The difference, the difference is that there's real fellowship here. And this fellowship is not just drinking coffee and talking over donuts and exchanging pleasantries. It has to do with the gospel. Remember, life together, gathering, devoting yourself to prayers. And I've been to churches that constantly preach like different recipes, how to get church from being dead to being alive. More prayers, more fasting, more this, more that, more that. Doesn't work, guys, and it will not. About 20 years of my Christian life, I've been looking for answers and recipes. None of that is going to work. Even if you pray for hours and fast, you know what works? The same thing that brought the church into existence. Good news of Jesus Christ. You know why there's life and fellowship and the flow of life here? Because Neil and I began to preach the gospel every Sunday here. I, I, was, I, was, I was debating with myself whether I should use this example or not, but I will right now. I changed my mind. I thought, I thought I'm not going to, but now I decide I will be. In 15th century Russia, I'm originally from Russia. You hear my accent. So in 15th century Russia, Russia was destroyed. I don't know. I don't even remember the time when Russia was doing great. Anyway, that's why I moved here. Yeah. So, but it was really bad. The bloodshed all over, like uh, the, 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 the country is torn by civil war between local, little local kings and the church is not, not, not helping at all. There was a one guy, and back then people were illiterate 
and they couldn't really write or read. So a lot of a lot of religious teaching was communicated through pictures, and they called them icons. They were created to facilitate contemplation and prayer. And there was one specific guy. And most people love dramatic sceneries, like, like Indian movies from Bollywood, like Last Day's Judgment, all of this. People are the same today. They love Last Day's teachings. <clears throat> but this guy, he got the gospel, and he decided to draw a picture. And I wish I, I had it on the screen, but I did you know, I, I decided I'm not going to use it, but late, last minute I decided I will use it. He used the picture of the book of Genesis chapter 18. And the book of Genesis chapter 18 is a story when Abraham met God one more time, but this encounter was very special. There were three men and there were three angels at the same time. And somehow they were the Lord God himself. And Abraham recognized them and he bowed down and he said, Sarah quickly get the best steak get the best bread get the best everything let's cook would you please 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 he began to beg stay with me and have some fellowship in the shade of my trees and I will feed you my best food and they agreed and they ate and they talked among each other and Abraham watched and it was later scholars and theologians and church teachers they said it was the prototype of the revelation of who God is in the New Testament God is not just solitary, remote, holy, righteous being. He is community. He is fellowship within Himself. Eternal fellowship. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's very underused doctrine, but it can give you life when you understand the gospel. When Jesus came, when Jesus came, He brought the gospel. And the gospel was about him and how through him you come to know God for who he really is. Scholars, teachers, philosophers, they love to talk about God. And they constantly multiply words about God. But these words do nothing to you. Jesus came and he was a scandal. Because he began to speak about God in a way that everything within you would resonate and want to get it and like whoa let me give you an example I, I found this quote from a famous theological book it's actually a catechism it's an official teaching of many evangelical churches today so the question is what is God who is God Let me find it. I totally butchered my notes. Yeah, what is God? Here's the theological answer. A God is a spirit. Is spirit. In and of himself infinite in being, glory, blessedness, perfection. He's all-sufficient. He's eternal. He's unchangeable. He's un incomprehensible. Everywhere present, almighty, knowing all things, most wise, most holy, most just, most merciful, most gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth. That's a theological talk. Jesus comes and he says, I and the Father are one. What you call God, I call the Father. I was there with him in the bosom of his being, and we had fellowship before the world began. That made all theologians in the world cringe. 
Because how dare you? How dare you? I didn't tell you what happened with this picture. This guy drew this icon. And there were three persons there reflecting the scenery from the book of Genesis. And when you look at this picture, Google it later. Just Holy Trinity by Andrei Rublov. Holy Trinity by Andrei Rublov, which is famous uh, icon of Trinity. And you will see that back then they did know the perspective. They did know how to draw pictures well. But he did his best to express what the gospel is, what the revelation of who God is. And you can see this table and you can see these three people, these three persons. And there is no domination. There's, you almost feel the dynamics of the flow fellowship of life. They're all about each other. No one is about himself. Everyone is and they're sharing this fellowship and they're sharing bread together. And the cool thing that happened, the, the scholars discovered when they analyzed the paint, they found a little piece on that icon that had a residual particles of glue. And they began to study that and they came to conclusion that this guy, this, this artist, he implemented some innovative approach. Because back then, as again, as I told you, icons were considered to be like a little windows into another reality of God. Because people couldn't read. That's how they would meditate. They would look through. And he glued a little mirror right in the middle of that circle of fellowship. So when you would come... You would see this beautiful fellowship, which is like a symbol of what God is in His triune nature. And the next thing you see, you see yourself included in there. This, my friend, is the gospel. And this is what makes a difference between church that has life and church that doesn't. I remember I told you every time Paul preaches the gospel, the good news of your inclusion into eternal fellowship of God. And only then he talks about Christian living. Gathering together has something to do with Christian living. But it flows out of the gospel. You take away the gospel, the message that God is not just holy and remote, but he is first of all and above all relational being. He is relationship. He is fellowship. He is eternal flow of life. He is the circle of harmonious love that never began and will never end. And your baptism is actually into that circle. You get dunked. As I said before, you, the gospel is that through Jesus you brought into the middle of the heavenly Twinkie. Well, of course, so you have two pictures, you in Christian living and you in the casket and a lot of death. And overall, ultimately, it's going to be a lot of death and it'll be empty. Or you have this beautiful, beautiful family-like eternal one. And you hear that through Jesus, you get to be included. And it already happened. Dude, this is life. It begins to flow in your personal life. And when... Somebody who understands the gospel and another person who understands the gospel, they get together. Something powerful begins to happen. And that is fellowship. I'm going to read you one more scripture that try to listen. Try to listen. John is a mystical writer, Apostle John. He tries to find words and express something that is hard to express, just like Paul did. Let, let's, let me find this passage I butchered the order of my message, so you have to forgive me. Just for you to know that I'm human. 
First John, beginning from verse 1 through verse 4. Listen to this carefully. He's trying to explain this mystery that happens. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. We touched it with our hands. It's not just a concept. It's not just a teaching. We touched it. It was from the beginning. We saw that with our eyes. We could hug it. John put his hand on it right on the chest of Jesus. And he heard the heart of Jesus. And he knew that that carpenter from, from a small and significant village in Judea is the one who was there from the beginning. He is the eternal Father, and He is the Son, and He is the most gentle Spirit. Oh, you just want to be with Him. You want to be around Him. You want to touch Him. You want to hold on to Him. You want to follow wherever He goes. No wonder wherever Jesus was, there was fellowship. There were crowds, big crowds. There were smaller groups. There were His disciples. Sometimes He would take just three of them and talk to them in a very personal and intimate way. Sometimes He would take Peter aside and look into his eye and say something good and something bad. But it was eternal Word of God. It was God Almighty in a human form. Very human. Very human. You know Jesus sweated? Sometimes probably burped and other things. But it was the... It was heaven. It was heaven within him. He would say, look into me. I am the Father, and the Father is one with me. I am living my Father. My Father lives in me. I don't just walk here on earth with you. I'm at the same time walk with the Father right in that very moment. And my prayer and my assignment and my mission to include you. And I'm willing to pay the price for that. Painful price. Excruciating pain and death on the cross, taking all the sins, all the curses, everything negative, everything that is not in line with God's nature. I'll take it all, I'll absorb it all, I'll clean you up, I will include you. And when he was on the cross, he said, It is finished. And we are included. This is the gospel. So when Jesus was, when you ask a theologian, Where's God? A theologian and a smart guy would say, God is everywhere. And it sounds very spiritual. It doesn't do anything in your life. If you ask a Jewish believer from the Old Testament led by Moses in the wilderness, where's God? Well, he would agree that God is everywhere, but he would say specifically, God's presence, God's face, God's countenance is right in that tent called the gathering tent, the tabernacle. There's a very special, tangible presence of God in that tent. If you want to experience God, you go there. When Jesus was on this earth, just like John says here, if you want to know where God is, where His smile is, where His face is, you go where Jesus is. Jesus put a face and gave a name to God who before that was faceless God, remote, nameless God. Until today, Jewish people don't dare to even try to figure out how to pronounce the name of the Lord. They just replace it with the word Hashem, which means name. Jesus said, no, that's not true. Daddy, Father, that's the name. This is the community. And you know what? When Jesus died and was put to death and res was resurrected from the dead and ascended, it did not stop. If today you ask, where is this special presence of God? 
can be found and experienced today? The answer is the same. Yes, God is everywhere. Every bush is ablaze with the fire of His glory. But if you want to experience in a very tangible, real way God's presence, you got to be where His people gather together. you got to gather together in the name of the Lord. Jesus Himself said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. I will never forget my first time when I experienced God's presence. I became a Christian in a small group setting. That just happened historically. We didn't have many churches. That group was organized by people who were part of underground churches. I, I grew up in the Soviet Union. Churches were banned. It was a difficult time for Christians. So I was in that small apartment and we had our meeting and I knew, by, by then I already kind of got used to Christian lingo and the Bible and da-da-da-da. I began to understand some of the things. So the meeting was officially over. Most of the people were gone. There were like three teenagers, uh, me, one of them, I was one of them, and uh, one elderly lady who was a Christian for many years. And we began to talk. It wasn't part of the formal meeting. We just began to talk about Jesus. We just started, I don't even remember what we talked about Jesus. All I know, we were kind of talking about Jesus. And we were pretty engaged in this conversation. And all of a sudden, every single one of us just shut up. She just got totally quiet. Because somebody came into the room. And everybody knew it was him that we talked about. We just knew that. Did I see Jesus? No, I didn't. But I couldn't move. I, I, I wouldn't dare to say a word. I don't know. It was very special, tangible presence of God that just entered into that room. And it was doing something to me. It was like being in a good radiation. It was changing my cellular being. with The fiber of my soul was being changed. That's fellowship of His Spirit. And that can only happen when you gather together in His name. You put aside your ambitions, you put aside your wounds, you put aside stuff, and you gather together in His name. I will just finish this passage that I started reading, and I will wrap it up. So John says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was manifest. And we have seen it. We have experienced that. We touched that. And we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. Why? So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that your joy may be complete. So those early believers in chapter 2 of Acts, they were risking their lives in order to get that life that was anything that they experienced as a result of receiving the gospel. This peace that comes 
when they get together, it, it's put on steroids. This joy that they would have glimpses of, it becomes multiplied. That courage gets amplified. Something happens that this flow of life, this is what called fellowship. So never call, well, you can still call just coffee with Donna's fellowship, but just remember that there is a deeper meaning of the word fellowship. And it flows from the gospel. You want the church to grow? You want the church to be alive? Preach the gospel. You want yourself to be alive? Can this dead or half dead situation keep a reverse? Absolutely. Jesus Christ as the entry point into the fellowship of the Lord. And you, if you have received him, you're already included. Begin to experience this life. And I want you to reconsider your ways. And think prayerfully. And change and shift this trend that happens in today's Christian world of America. And return yourself to the old good ways of devoting yourself to the gospel, to the apostles' teaching, to the gospel. To fellowship and breaking bread together. Fellowship doesn't have a definite end expiration date. You never graduate from learning more about somebody. If I would say one day, well, Neil, I pretty much studied everything about you. I can write a PhD on you about everything. Good stuff, bad stuff, good, good bad, and ugly. So there's no point of me seeing you anymore because, like, I'm not at all. I would be dead wrong. And you're dead wrong if you think like that about anyone. So I made my point clear, I believe, so I'm wrapping it up. In Jesus, we have experiential knowledge of God when we gather together we experience the face of God the very tangible presence of God that we cannot experience otherwise that's why I love that you gather here on Sundays and you would say Dennis are you trying to sell us small groups again absolutely I do because the question is how does it look like in 20th century, 21st century today in America it looks like this on Sunday big church and they gathered in the temple it looked like smaller groups when they gathered in the homes. Because in this setting, we can't have a discussion. I can preach to you. You can receive stuff. But you need to digest it. You need to internalize it. You need to ask questions. You need to look for answers. You need to hear life applications and illustrations. Where can it happen? In a smaller setting. And then you also need some even smaller, more intimate relationship. Maybe two or three people that really, really trust each other. Younger people, you need mentors, uh, you know, seasoned Christians who can help you with certain areas of life. That can look you in the eye and tell you good things about you. And also tell you things where you need to grow. To, to require more of you. To see, well anyway, I'm not going to go there. But now, today, this is the month when we're doing this. So please, I beg you. I, if You need to know something about me as a salesman. I'm a great salesman and I'm a horrible salesman. I'm a great salesman only if I push the products that I wholeheartedly believe are going to enrich your life. And I'm a very bad salesman if I, I have doubts about the product or service. I have no doubts about Christians gathering together in the name of the Lord in the smaller groups. You, your life can only be enriched through that. So please take it seriously. Pray about it. Think about it. Consider it. Sign up. I bless you to do that, and I bless you would have a lot more experiencing 
a special presence of the Lord. Let me pray, and I would like Pastor Neil to come up here. Father, we thank you so much. And I, Lord, I thank you that you let me speak about the importance of this flow of life from the middle of your presence in heaven right here on this earth when sisters and brothers are get, getting together physically, when they learn to share their life together, when they learn to serve one another, when they learn to minister to one another, when they learn to receive and release your spirit into one another's life. Lord, help us to see it more clearly and to be intentional about it and to devote ourselves to that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.